Well, hey, good morning. Everyone starts their adult life journey with great hope and great expectation. They begin to climb the first mountain. Now, climbing the first mountain is uh, essentially about trying to achieve two goals. The first goal is the uh, establishment of your identity. This is where um, the goal is to define yourself, to um, moderate the expectations on your life, who people think you need to be, who you think need to be, um, manage your reputation. This is a goal of the, of the journey up the first mountain that everyone goes through. The second goal of this first mountain is the American dream. Now, the American dream is the desire or dream for success, for security, for happiness, for achieving the nice home, the nice family, the nice vacations, good food, good friends, the American dream. And that's the goal of climbing the first mountain. Now, there's a but. Inevitably, invariably, something happens. Now, it may not happen early. It may happen in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, 50s, 60s. Something will happen where you fall. It might be because of failure. Something you've done, you've blown it, or somebody thinks you've blown it. Or it might be some level of pain. Or it might be some tragedy. Or major loss in your life. And sometimes it's just because... You come to the point in your life and you have a, let's call it a midlife crisis, and you wonder, is this all there is? This first mountain, is this all there is? And I've talked to people who have had a quarter-life crisis and midlife crisis, people in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and what ends up happening is you end up falling into the valley of bewilderment. I don't understand life right now. I don't know who I should be. I've kind of lost the sense, my bearings, my, my direction in my life. And in this valley of bewilderment, there's great agitation. There's great levels of anxiety. And anxiety is the general topic that we have been discussing for the last four weeks, wrapping it up in this little mini-series. And if we're experiencing anxiety in our life, where do we find relief? That's why we call this series Relief. We started off in week one looking at the general chronic anxiety that we all struggle with at some point in our lives. And for some people, it becomes panic attacks. And other people, it's just uh, the frustration with life. And we discovered in the first week that Jesus proclaims that we can have peace, we can have courage, we can have his presence in our life through the Holy Spirit that brings us comfort and joy and relief in the middle of our anxiety. Now, week two, we took a look at another kind of anxiety that I think is a fast-growing anxiety in the United States, and that is the anxiety of loneliness and isolation, people feeling like they're not connected, they don't have family, they don't have friends, they don't know who loves them, and that produces a whole different kind of anxiety. But we also saw that that anxiety, there is relief for that kind of anxiety through 
the person of Jesus, but also through the community, his community who comes alongside you and loves. And last week, we looked at, shall we call it, the mother of all anxieties and that point in your life where you don't know what's going to become of me when I die, the anxiety of, of uh, what happens post-mortem. Um, I want to tell you uh, personally how grateful I am for all of the text messages and notes and cards and flowers and uh, it was, uh, I'm so grateful and Wednesday morning we had my mom's funeral and uh, she has been living the last 10 years outside of Philadelphia with my sister. Um, We were in her church, in my sister's church and I'm standing in the receiving line and I look look up and in walk six pastors including Mel that they had traveled 10 hours, spent the night the night before so that they could attend that funeral service and then turn around and go drive right back that same day. And I, the, as we're sitting having the luncheon after the funeral, people in the church kept coming up to me and saying, they drove all that way? All those pastors came all that way? And I said, yeah, that's because we love each other and we're there for each other. So thank you, church. You were so sweet and, and gracious. And we'll continue to process Life now. So this week, though, I want to move into this level of anxiety that comes in the valley of bewilderment. The va- we'll call it the valley of who am I, the valley of purposelessness, or the valley of the lack of significance, the valley of bewilderment. And when you get knocked off <clears throat> the mountain of identity and the mountain of the American dream, and you feel like the first lay of your life has been strip-mined, you wonder what is left. and Who am I? Well, the good news is there is a second mountain. We'll call this mountain the mountain of destiny, the mountain of calling, the, amount, the mountain of purposefulness. Uh, and the climb up that mountain is described by Richard Rohr in his book, Falling Upward, as a further and fantastic journey. Rohr says that the first mountain is only the warm-up act for the real journey to come. Now, I'm thankful to another author, David Brooks, uh, New York Times columnist. He's written a book called The Second Mountain, where this illustration comes from, the, the, these two mountains. And uh, he describes the two mountains this way. He says, the first mountain is about acquisition. The second mountain is about contribution. He says, the first mountain is about building up ego and defining the self, whereas the second mountain is about shedding the ego and losing the self. You see, on this second mountain, you are no longer interested in what people tell you that you want. You're not interested in meeting somebody else's expectations for your life or what you should be. On the second mountain, you start to want the things that are worth wanting. Are you hearing me? You're starting to want the things that are worth wanting. On the second mountain, it's no longer about you. It's not longer about self. It's about, watch this, a summons on your life. A summons that was placed on your life before you were even born by God himself. Now, Brooks in his book goes on to describe second mountain people this way. They know why they were put on this earth. And they derive a deep satisfaction from doing what they've been called to do. 
They take on the burden of others. And so life is not easy for them. But they have a serenity about them, a settled resolve, which sounds like relief, a serenity and settled resolve. Is that you? Where would you find yourself on this illustration? I don't care what age you are. Are you still climbing the first mountain, trying to establish your identity in this world and achieve the American dream? Or has something happened? Have you experienced this fall and you're in this place of bewilderment? Or have you begun the walk, the wonderful journey up the second mountain? Well, what I want to do today is help identify where you are and try to bring relief if you're in the valley of bewilderment and anxiety and get you moving on the journey up the mountain of destiny. We're going to do that by looking at the scriptures. So grab a Bible and turn once again to John chapter 14, verse 12, page 896. Grab a Bible under the seat in front of you and follow along. The context, of course, as it has been all month long, is the last days or the last days and hours with Jesus and his followers. Now, Jesus spent three years. Went away because I don't want you to miss this point. It's very important. Jesus spent three years helping young men and women start to climb the second mountain. Yes, Jesus came to provide redemption through his death on the cross. Yes. Yes, he came to proclaim the advent of the kingdom of God. He did. Yes, he came to usher people into the presence of God. Yes, he came to create a new community of love. Yes, he sought to provide an eternal home for his followers after they die. But yes, Jesus came to also take ordinary human beings and direct them to the second mountain of purpose and calling and destiny. So follow along as I read, and we explore this concept further. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, I'm going to walk us through this, these three verses in depth in a minute, but can I step back again and look at the bigger context? I want to remind you that each one of the people he was talking to has an individual story. When, many times when we're reading in the scriptures about the followers of Jesus or the disciples, they get lumped together as if they're this mass that moved around as one and they lost their identities. No, from the time Jesus met them until the time he sent them out into the world to do fulfill their destiny in the world. They were individuals who had their own dreams. Now, they may not have been pursuing the American dream, but they were certainly pursuing, pursuing <coughs> the Judean dream, whatever that was. And they were all trying to figure out who they were. They were mostly young men and women trying to build their identity and discover who they were. James and John, for instance, these two guys clearly were trying to make a name for themselves because they latched on to the idea that Jesus was bringing a kingdom to bear and that Jesus was, was going to be the one of power in this world. And so they came to him and they said, hey, Jesus, can we like be on your right and your left? I mean, can we, can we 
be in the seats of power. So they, that's how they were pursuing their first mountain destiny. They wanted to be men of, of influence. Matthew was, a, was another guy who he decided he wanted to be rich. He wanted to uh, be wealthy. And he, it didn't bother him at all that he would become a tax collector and essentially cheat his own people out of their own hard-earned money because he was climbing the first, first mountain of success. Judas, who knows what was going on in that guy's dome? He was some kind of personal power, some kind of personal prestige he was shooting for. Then we got Peter, who didn't know what he wanted half the time. He would follow Jesus, and then he'd go back to, to fishing, and then he was emotionally volatile as he tried to define himself. Dear man tried to define himself the whole time he was with Jesus. Who knows what Thomas what was he? He was always in his head. He was like the Enneagram five of the, of the disciples. And then Martha, who tried to define her life as one of duty and order. And this is, this is, they were all individuals and they were trying to define themselves in the world. And Jesus took these young guns and knocked them off Ego Mountain. And he forced them into the valley of bewilderment and anxiety. If you think he didn't, read the stories of, of how they reacted to him, especially in John chapter 14. He did this so effectively. He knocked people off to this, this first mountain of, of uh, you know, of, of meaning and identity. And he not, watch this. You know, he did, how many miracles did Jesus do? We have no idea. He was raising people from the dead. He was raised, people couldn't walk. They could, he was causing people who were blind to see all kinds of miracles. At one point, the high point of his ministry may have five to 10,000 people just following after him, chasing him down. But by the time he died, went into the grave, rose and ascended to be with the Father, there were not 5,000 or 10,000 people following. There was maybe a couple hundred. The Lord of the universe, his followers had diminished to a couple hundred. Why? Because he knocked them off the first mountain. He forcefully made them consent, so much so that they didn't want anything to do with that. So in that broader context, I want you to hear these words Let's walk through them a little bit of time, starting with verse 12. The, the, the Bible, look down at the Bible, down at the Bible. Okay, all right. He says, I tell you the truth. Now, I got to stop right there. It, the translation also could be truly, truly. In other words, it's the word truly twice. And it's one thing to say, truly, I tell you. It's another thing to say, truly, truly, I tell you. In essence, he was saying, look, no joke, no joke. I think the way I would say it is, watch this. Pay attention. Listen up. Then he goes, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. <laughs> Let's just stop there for a second. Anyone who, the word believes is that word pistuo. It's a Greek word, and it means, depending on the context, it can mean anyone who believes in me, anyone who has faith in me, or anyone who entrusts themselves to me. He says, if you entrust yourself to me, you will do the same works I have done. Oh, it gets more incredible in just a moment. But what were the works that Jesus did that he said that his followers and uh, we would do? Well, he did healing work. We've already talked about that. I did healing work. You will do, you will do healing work. He did loving work. He loved children. He loved untouchable people, sinners, and social outcasts. I did loving work. 
you will do loving work. He did soul-saving work, introducing new life to people, into the, introducing to the Father. You do, he did soul-saving work. They would, and so would we. He did social justice work. He identified with the poor. He identified with prisoners, with the destitute and the persecuted. He raised the dignity of women. He rejected hatred. He said, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile with your enemies. He did social justice work. That's what Jesus did. That's what we do too. And he did establishment confronting work. He called out the religious and the self-righteous. That's our work too. And he also did dark world confronting work, dark world battles, taking on the demonic world. Those were the works that Jesus did. He said, and you will do the same work. Now, I don't need to point this out, but I'm going to. None of that is first mountain work. None of it is. Jesus cared nothing about his ego. Amen? He didn't care about his ego. Jesus cared very little about comfort. Amen? He did not. He had no place to lay his head. He didn't care about his ego. He didn't care about his comfort. He didn't care about his identity, although he made it clear who he was, that God was his father. He was the son of God. But he did not do first mountain work. It was all second mountain work. All his works. Going after the one and leaving the 99. Searching for the lost. 100% others-oriented. He lived a life of destiny. And he says, you will too. But pay attention to what he says next, because here's the mind-numbing statement of Jesus. So he says, you're going to do the same works, and even, ooh, not similar, greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. <laughs> now, theologians eh, they get a little squishy about this word. They're, they're really like, how could human beings do greater works than Jesus? Not possible, not possible. And so they find ways, theological ways, to get around this concept. But you can't. The word greater here can be translated a lot of different ways. So let me throw in what it could be translated as and see how this shocks you. You will do the same works as I do, but even greater, or another way to translate it is stronger, or more numerous, or more significant, or more weighty, or more distinguished, or more splendid, or excellent, or exceedingly great. That is the kind of works you're going to do, greater works. Now, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't fully understand exactly what he was saying, but we cannot, listen to me, we cannot minimize the impact of those words on our lives. You're going to do the same works as Jesus did, and you're going to do even greater things. If, if you climb the second mountain of destiny, you're not going to do the same works as Jesus sticking on the first mountain of identity and, and, and whatever American dream you're trying to work for. You've got to move to the second mountain. That's how we do greater works. And just keep this in mind. You have a summons on your life. You have a calling. You have a destiny to do kingdom work, to heal the broken places of this world in a greater way, whatever that means, than Jesus did. 
That's the calling and destiny on your life. And then he puts two exclamation points at the end in verse 13. Look again at the Bible where he says, it's verse 13, and in this light, you can ask for anything in my name. Let me stop there. I think at this point when he said, you're going to do greater things than me, they're going greater, seriously? And he goes, no, no, seriously, ask me for anything. Ask me for anything in my name. You think it's impossible? Ask me, and I'll do it so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And in verse 14, he repeats it. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. He does what any good teacher does. When, when he's not sure that the first time he said something, it was picked up, he repeats it. Ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. No, no, listen. Ask me for it. You hearing me? Ask me for this. I think that's going, I'm sure like Thomas was like, what? <laughs> Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is how much Jesus wants you and me to live on the second mountain of destiny. He's offering his help to you to get there in any way and whatever it takes. So I'm, I'm, let me ask you, what's it gonna take to get you to the place of destiny. Whatever you need, he'll provide it. What do you need right now to reshape your life onto this new journey up the second mountain? Ask him for it, he'll help you. Who do you think you're called to be? I'm not so sure, I don't know what my destiny is. Ask him, he'll show you. Ask, ask, ask. Don't sit and fuss. Don't sit and wonder. Don't sit and worry. Ask him. I need you to direct me. I need you to show me. I need some clarity. Bring somebody in my life to help me. Give some clarity. What can I do? How did you make me to be? Ask, ask, ask. I think he said somewhere that if we ask for anything in his name, he will do it. Did, oh, no, that was right there. He said that twice. He said that. And by the way, that's not the only time he said it. Can you just jump over to John chapter 15? I'll put it on the screen too. John 15, 5. Watch this. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, well, looky here. You may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples this brings great glory to my Father. Ask me. This is the essence of Second Mountain Living. Asking Jesus, he grants your request and shows you how to change the world through your calling. Remain in me, believe in me, have faith in me, entrust yourself to me, and I will lift you from the valley of bewilderment and anxiety and point you to a life of calling. Remain in me, believe in me, have faith in me, and trust yourself to me, and your life will blossom with fruit. Remain in me, believe in me, have faith in me, and trust yourself to me, and I'll answer your wildest prayers for significance and meaning. Jesus came to take people like you to the second mountain of destiny. So May 30 and 31 is going to be my last weekend to preach as the senior pastor of Grace Church. Barry has chided me more than once to don't ever say again it's the last sermon you're going to preach at Grace because it's not true. 
So I am following my son. I'm following the direction of my son, okay? He wants me to preach here again, so I'm going to preach. But on May 30 and 31 of this year will be the last time I preach as senior pastor of grace. Okay, now I tell you that. Hey, because I hope you can be here that weekend, okay? I hope that's true. But there's another reason. Um, in preparation for this change in my life, um, I have begun, I created a new company, a new direction for my life. It's called Destiny Works. Duh. Okay? I'm still working full-time, and I will here through May, but I've been doing this um, as a side thing, and the main thing I'm doing with Destiny Works right now is I was asked to consult with a national men's fraternity, ATO, Alpha Tau Omega. The CEO of ATO is actually sitting right now in our Fishers campus, probably watching last night's message. He's a member of Grace Church. Wynn Smiley's his name. He came to me about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and he said, Dave, you know, as you're moving to this next part of your life, would you be willing to sit down with me and do some consulting and help me figure out how we can essentially redirect this men's fraternity, 10,000 young men all over the country with a kind of a new sense of purpose as a fraternity? What I didn't see coming is that what this has developed into is this. They call it Project Men of Destiny. We have taken all these concepts, I've taken this, these concepts and crafted a weekend seminar workshop for these fraternity guys. And at the end of it, they walk away with their own little calling quilt, describing their lives, showing their skills, putting, and they walk out of that weekend with a sense of destiny. These are 18 to 23 year old guys, okay? Now, I went into this thinking, I don't know how this is going to work. These are fraternity boys. The first one we did was at Iowa State University. We uh, traveled, I traveled out there about two months ago. We had 80 guys from the chapter meet us. And I know they walked in skeptical. Like, they did that because the national fraternity asked them to be there, and they were, you could see they were like this, right? When we got done on that Saturday afternoon, they got out of their seats and flocked to me. They wanted to talk further about it. They wanted to go for it. They want, so much so that I'm going back in a month to do a follow-up with them because they're so desperate to know who they are in this world. It has been amazing. We did it at Ball State. I'm going down to LSU to do it. We're doing it at a national conference. We'll have four to 500 young fraternity guys where we're walking them through this. I told them, I said, they know the reputation that fraternities have. I said, what if we turn that on its head and everywhere your ATO undergrads go when they graduate, the world shakes. We want to turn these guys into second mountain guys. I want you to become a second mountain person that everywhere you walk, the world shakes. Why? Because you're doing the same, weeks of, same works of Jesus. No, not just the same works of Jesus. What? What? Greater works. You were built to count as water is made to run downhill. You are placed in a specific context to count in ways that no one else does. 
That's relief. 